Welcome back to the John Summer Challenge. Today is day three of the John Summer Challenge and we are in John chapter two, verses one through 12. You know, one of the reasons why I love the summer so much is because love is in the air. Can you feel it? No, maybe you, not you, right? Cooties are, still exist, but typically there's a lot of weddings going on in the summer and uh, you know, there's a lot coming up. Maybe your friends are having some, not your, close friends but you know like your family friends family members whoever they have a wedding and weddings are so fun it's a huge celebration where everybody comes together to celebrate one man and one woman being joined together in marriage before the Lord and it is a blast I think about my time uh, as a young person going to weddings and it was a blast because as soon as I would get there I would go straight to my Mexican cousins. I don't know why I had to say Mexican, but there were Mexican parties, huge, big weddings, crazy with the infamous, glorious taco man and just all, lots of fun. And I would go and I would play with my cousins. We would run around the whole campus, wherever it would be. We would play the ultimate OP game, hide and seek, and we would just have a blast. And just imagine this with me. You're running around, you're running, and it, you just, it's a great celebration. I'll, I'll get to the point in a second. But uh, how many of you have been part of a wedding? Have you ever been part of a wedding? The first wedding I was part of was uh, my friend Nick Tanawis. You know him, Nick and Nicole. And get this, I was the second best man. Isn't that cool? No, I was just second in line. I wasn't good enough to be the first best man but it's okay no i'm just kidding weddings are just so fun right you have a big celebration celebrating these two people coming together and uh, in our passage today we are going to see ourselves a wedding happen but something terrible happens at this wedding and jesus is invited to this wedding and it prompts him to lead it prompts him to perform his very first miracle that we'll see recorded now this is the first miracle or as john likes to call it the first sign that jesus performs and the purpose of this event the purpose of recording down this miracle by jesus is the same reason why john is recording this entire book it is found where in john 20 verses 30 to 31 it says this therefore Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written. This miracle has been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so we're going to look at this passage in three parts today, and we'll try to go quick. Number one, the problem. What is the problem here in verses 1 through 5? Jesus is invited to a wedding, and all of a sudden, the wine runs out. Now you might be thinking, what's the problem there? It's not that big of a deal. Now imagine this. You're in my shoes, in my chanclas, as a little kid at a Mexican wedding. And you're having a blast, you're going with your cousins, uh, you're playing hide and seek, you're running around, you're on the bouncy house, you're slamming bodies on the bouncing house, you're hiding behind trash cans, and you're just exhausted, you're running from place to place, and you just, you have a break, and so you reach into the ice chest, and you grab one of two choices. Back then, it was always the Capri Sun. And you would grab that Capri Sun, I would, and I would chug it in like three seconds. And I challenge any one of you, 
to a Capri Sun chugging challenge and I will beat you, okay? So a Capri Sun or a Dr. Pepper maybe today. I love Dr. Pepper. And so you grab in there, you hydrate real quick, and you run around, you go back, you play some games, and then you run back to the ice chest, grab another Capri Sun, chug it down. All of a sudden, you go back to the ice chest throughout the night, and there are no more Capri Suns. There are only wicked, disgusting, a great tragedy, a chest filled with water bottles. <laughs> Nobody wants water, we want the Capri Suns, right? And so that is a great tragedy, especially as a kid, that would be the worst thing ever. I needed to hydrate with my Capri Sun. Well, if you can bring that childlike tragedy into this scenario, this is a big problem. They have ran out of wine. And you might be thinking, okay, that's not really a big problem, you know, just get over it you know suck it up and drink some water but no this is devastating during this time and let me tell you why uh, nowadays when people get married usually the parents of the bride or the groom help out a little bit with the expenses of the wedding usually there's a wedding coordinator making sure you know all the Capri Suns are stocked the but back in this time in this culture the financial responsibility of the wedding was all on the groom. It was the new husband's job to make sure that everything was in order and that all of the supplies were stocked. It was his responsibility. And another thing about this culture is that this culture was brutal. It was a shame culture. And so for you to embarrass the family by running out of supplies would be a very huge deal. It would be a huge embarrassment. And in this situation, for the husband to run out of supplies, it might even lead to the wife's family being so angry with him that they would sue him. Imagine that, you being sued for running out of Capri Suns. Now, I wish that was true today. Anytime I go to a wedding this summer, if there's not Dr. Pepper's there, straight to the police, right? But that's what's going on here. A shame culture and they are all the responsibilities on the new husband and so a massive amount of embarrassment is set up for this new husband who has ran out of wine at his wedding so we've identified the problem here there is no more wine and the groom is about to be very embarrassed and possibly even sued by his relatives of the bride so what happens verses 3 to 4 when the wine ran out the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. So here we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, does exactly what I would have done in this situation. I would have gone to the person who would know exactly what to do, who could take care and fix the problem. The one, you know, with the car keys who can run to Seder Brothers and grab more Capri Suns. I would go to, to that person and that is what Mary does. Think about it. She grew up with Mary or she, she raised, uh, sh she grew up with Jesus. She raised Jesus and you would think that after a little while she would get the hint that you know this guy always knows what to do for some reason and this guy you know just can figure things out you know he, he he's God you know he's perfect he knows and so in this situation what does she do 
she runs to Jesus to, in order for him to fix this problem. So Mary goes to Jesus with this problem, expecting him to do something about it and make it all right like he always does. But Jesus responds in a different and unexpected way. Jesus says to his mother, Woman, what does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Woman, what are you coming to, to me for? What, what do you want me to do about it? And now, a side note maybe, maybe you're thinking, wow, that's kind of rude. If I ever called my mother woman, I'd send you the address to the nearest hospital I was in because that chancla would be right across my face. No, not really. My mom's not like that. But, you know, you wouldn't do that, right? You wouldn't call your mom a woman. But we know that this is not sin. This is not anything bad because Jesus is perfect. He obeys the law perfectly. Even the law that says, honor your father and mother, right? So we don't assume that. But perhaps if we could entertain this, perhaps the reason why he calls his mother woman is to finally indicate a change in their relationship. It is perhaps to indicate that Jesus' mother no longer has familial privilege with Jesus. Jesus is all about doing his Father's will and accomplishing his Father's will and abiding by the Father's divine timetable. And so Jesus is not concerned with providing his mother with any familial privilege. No, and this is a side note for us. You need your own faith. You are not saved by your family or your parents' salvation. If your family is Christian, if your friends are Christian, that does not make you, by association, a Christian as well. You need your own faith. And so perhaps this is Jesus' way to establish this change in a relationship. No, Mary, you need to submit to me. And you need to bow down and put your faith in me. So this is what we see here. And Jesus responds to her this way. Woman, what does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. And every time Jesus says that, my hour has not yet come, he is always referring to the hour of his death. The ultimate miracle that will take place on the cross where he will take away the sin of the world. That is the ultimate miracle. And these miracles, these signs are all pointing to that greater miracle. So let's jump to one of these signs. Jesus' very first miracle recorded launching his public ministry. Number two, the miracle in verses six through 10. And here's what happens without getting lost in all the details. Mary calls the servants over and says, okay, do whatever Jesus tells you. Then Jesus calls the servants over and says, okay, listen boys, here's the plan. I want you to go over there and grab those six stone water pots and fill them to the brim with water. Now you might be thinking, you know, they're probably thinking, this guy's crazy. We, we can't create wine. Uh, we, we have no, no time. The, the people are going to find out. There's no time to make new wine right now. It takes a long time to do that. But instead of questioning Jesus, they immediately obey him. They get straight to the task without hesitation. And another side note, this is exactly how we should respond 
to Jesus as well, right? No hesitation, complete, total obedience, instant obedience. I love that saying, delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. No, we need to respond with obedience right away. So that's what these servants do. They bring it to him and the way, uh, and they bring the uh, water pots, they fill it with water. And the waiter is very confused because all of a sudden, what has happened? A miracle has taken place. These water pots are filled to the brim, not with water, but with wine, with fresh wine. And Jesus says to them, okay, draw some out now and go bring it to the head waiter over there. So they bring it to him. And the waiter is very confused where this wine has come from. But the servants know because they had just witnessed Jesus perform this miracle. The waiter tastes the wine. And I'm imagining his eyes just opening up like that scene from Ratatouille. You know, pops of flavor. The best wine he has ever drank drinking in his life. This is the freshest, sweetest, the most excellent wine he has ever tasted. So the waiter calls the bridegroom over and basically says, Why in the world would you save this wine for the end of the wedding? Usually, you serve the best wine first and the worst wine last. Why? Because by the end of the wedding, nobody really cares what the wine tastes like. You know, it's like you go to a Mexican wedding and you run out of food and your mom reaches into the fridge and starts grabbing leftovers, you know? She just, you know, she has to feed people and nobody cares what the food tastes like or if it's fresh or anything. They're just hungry, right? You serve the worst at the end because nobody cares. But here, the waiter says, you have served the best wine for the end. Why would you do this? Why would you wait? Everyone is amazed by this incredible wine. Most have no idea where it came from except Jesus' disciples and the servants who watched him. Peace is restored. No one is getting sued. Jesus saves the day and begins his public ministry with this small, more intimate, less public miracle. And this is how he launches in to his public ministry ministry miracle number one now what do we do with this how does this affect us let's look at point number three the significance the significance and why is this miracle important we see the significance in verse 11 says this beginning of his signs jesus did in cana of galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him this is always the reason why Jesus performs his miracle, so that his glory may be manifested. Think about it. What do people think, or what do you think right now, as you read about this miracle? Jesus turning water into wine, nothing into something so amazing. What does this remind you of? Doesn't this remind you that Jesus is the creator that he created this entire universe he created you and I out of nothing this puts everything else to shame all of those foolish theories big bang theory whatever you want to say no there is a God Jesus Christ is his name he is the creator and he displays this miracle and it reminds us that he is the sovereign Lord he is the creator of the universe he is the Son of God 
And that is exactly John's purpose and point, his aim, what he's trying to point us to, what he's trying to prove. Jesus is what? The Son of God. And this miracle certainly proves that. So, his disciples believed in him. They heard about him from John the Baptist. They heard Jesus' own lips. They believed in him. And now they have this miracle as a confirmation of the man whom they have put their faith in, the creator of the universe, the Son of God. This has been written so that you today may believe in Christ. Will you believe? Will you finally believe in the Son of God? And maybe you already have. So will you rejoice and give glory to God, give glory to Christ as you read of this miracle and reflect upon His amazing character and say, yes, amen, Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? That's our devotional for today. I've got three application questions for you. Number one, what does Jesus mean when he says, my hour has not yet come? We talked about that. What does he mean by that? Number two, what does this miracle reveal about Jesus? We just talked about that as well, right? We see him turn water into wine, nothing into something amazing. What does that remind you of? What does that tell you about who Jesus is? And lastly, number three, I want to challenge you a bit. I want you to recite out loud from memory, John 20 verses 30 through 31. I want you to try your best without looking at anything right now after this, recite John 20, 30 through 31. And then after you try your best, go back to this form and write down word for word from your Bible, John 20, 30 through 31. It'll get us into the practice of starting to memorize this important verse, okay? So do that, submit your answers to those questions, and you will be done with day three of the John Summer Challenge. See you tomorrow. Bye.